Well, Teddy Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, even from a non-American point of view, seemed like, if I can put it like this, uh, a legend of a man. The more you read about him, the more you hear of his dynamic personality, his, his vigour, his guts. Uh, it, it's, the more you read, it's really almost exhausting. He's that sort of guy. It makes you tired. Uh, on October 14, 1912, he was to deliver a speech in Milwaukee in the States. And as he was uh, getting into his car to leave for the auditorium, a man came up and shot him in the chest. He survived. Uh, Roosevelt's doctors pleaded with him to go to the hospital. You need to go there. But he was headed for the auditorium and nothing would stop him. He insisted on going there. Now, on arrival, as he stood up to speak, he told the people uh, he'd been shot and he even showed them his blood-soaked shirt. And then he asked them to be quiet and excuse him from making a long speech. It was going to be a short one on this day. So he pulled out his bloodied notes from his pocket and he proceeded to speak to them for 90 minutes. <laughs> when he died in 1919, his youngest son cabled his brothers on Europe's battlefields with the news, the lion is dead. The lion is dead. It was as if with Roosevelt, uh, as his, with his death, he, he himself and his life was an, was an epoch, it was an era. And when he died, an era had passed. The lion is dead. Well, that's the mood of 2 Kings 2. We've just read a few moments, uh, Beck read to us a few moments ago. Uh, Elijah is gone. It's the end of an era. And it's the end of our series on 2 Kings as well. As Elijah is taken up to heaven, Elisha, his appointed successor, remembering back to, uh, if he did get a chance to read at 1 Kings 19, we didn't preach on 1 Kings 19, but that tells us that the, the baton was passed over. Elisha would be Elijah's successor. So as Elijah is taken up to heaven, Elisha calls out, he, he calls out, my father, the, my, my father, my father, the chariots, the horsemen of Israel. Elijah was seen, you see, as the great protector of Israel. To have Elijah on your team uh, was, like, was like having the army of God the true defence system of Israel. In fact, we can't help but thinking throughout the, this chapter particularly and the chapters previously and the, through this whole series, we can't help but thinking, man, wouldn't it be great to have lots of Elijahs? Wouldn't that be awesome? Imagine having so many Elijahs in your church. Or in fact, wouldn't it be great to be an Elijah? Wow. And now he's gone. What are we to do now? The lion is taken. How can we go on? Where now is God's mouthpiece, God's prophet who will speak the word of God into people's hearts? 2 Kings 2 gives us the answers. Well, if you haven't got your Bible open to 2 Kings 2, have it open. Have the outline in front of you as well. That'll help a great deal. As we read in 2 Kings 2, we'll see that although Elijah is gone, the Lord remains. There are four sections in this, in this passage. You'll see them pretty clearly on the outline there. Verses 1 to 6 really act as an introduction leading up to the action that starts in verse 7. 
in verses 1 to 6, Elisha will not leave Elijah's side. There's this great sense of apprehension, though. It's a bit of the elephant in the room type thing. Everyone, know, everyone seems to know that Elijah is going, um, but no one really wants to talk about it. It's a strange little scene. Well, finally, the two of them reach the Jordan River, and we pick up the story in verse 7. Point one in the outline, the power of God remains. Now, to put it mildly, in biblical history, the Jordan River is significant. <laughs> and not just for taking a dip. This significant river is the scene of this first sign, we'll call them. Elijah strikes the water with his cloak, and the water divides. In front of 50 men from the company of prophets, Elisha and Elijah pass safely across. Is God's power in action. But why this? Why now? That's the question we've got to ask. Uh, is this the Red Sea again? Is this the, Egypt, the, the Israelites escaping from Egypt? The parting of the waters? Close, but no cigar. No. In, in Joshua 3 and 4, not long after the, the Red Sea crossing or uh, sorry, it was a fair while, it wasn't about 40 years, in fact. Um, so, a long time. Uh, in Joshua 3 and 4, we read of Joshua leading the Israelites into the promised land, Canaan, uh, crossing the Jordan. Now, on that day, once the priest's toes hit the water, as they were the ones who led the charge, the river divided. God's purpose was not only safe passage... But as he told Joshua, God's new leader and his appointed mouthpiece to Israel, uh, because Moses had died, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. So later when Elisha, after crying out at the loss of Elijah, performs the same miracle in front of the prophets. Have a look at verses 13 and 14. Skipping ahead a little bit. The, the prophets, these eyes of Israel, are convinced that Elisha too shares the same spirit of power. God's. The same spirit Elisha asks for in verse 9. In fact, he asks for a double portion of this spirit. In other words, this sign... This sign points to and shows us, as these uh, prophets uh, saw, that God's power rests in Elisha by his spirit, just as in Elijah and Joshua. Are you following that, uh, that sequence there? Friends, what we're reminded of here is just as the prophets looking on were reminded that God's power is not tied to a particular era. For the God of Joshua is just as mighty as the God of Elijah and now Elisha. That's what this first sign points to. Elisha has God's spirit of power and the sign proves that just as God's spirit of power was in Joshua way back when. God's power is not tied to a particular era. So it doesn't matter what age it is, whether it's 1400 BC or 1st century Jerusalem at Pentecost or the 16th century Reformation or here at St John's. God's power is at work and he's as busy now as ever. 
God is saving people. God's calling them to himself. By his spirit, he is leading them to repentance and keeping them from the evil one. The historical God that we read about in God's word is the same contemporary God today. The same God. But verse 14 also tells us that God's power is not limited to certain instruments or leaders. See that? Joshua, Elijah, Elisha. Same miracle. What's it telling us as we read this? We read God's word. God's power is not limited to certain instruments or leaders. The same miracle is done, in fact, in this story, twice by two different people. Now, no doubt the prophets watching on as Elijah disappeared wondered what's next, wouldn't they? In fact, there might have, there's a bit of confusion, as we'll get to in a moment, but a bit of grief as well. How can we go on? Well, God's answer is very clear. Instead of idolising certain servants of God, we must look, as Elisha did, to God himself. For God's leaders change, but God's power remains. Indeed, perhaps God removes his most illustrious servants so that we won't make idols of them. Perhaps God deliberately uses lesser instruments so that we won't get caught up in the spark of God's servants, but on the strength of God himself. There's a great description of the funeral of 16th century pastor and reformer John Calvin. There's a, a stunning picture of him there. He's a, a handsome looking man. Um, lovely beard. If only I could grow a beard like that. But this description of his funeral uh, of John Calvin it nicely illustrates this point. It is sort of how it goes. Calvin had given definite instructions for his funeral. Nothing must distinguish it from those or that of any other citizen. His body was to be sewed into a white shroud and laid in a simple pine coffin. At the grave, there would be neither words nor song. Now, the wishes of the deceased were scrupulously carried out. But although in accordance with his will, all pomp and ceremony was avoided, an unnumbered multitude turned up that day and followed with the coffin to the cemetery with deep respect and silent grief. He who was averse to all ambition did not even want a tombstone. Just a few months later, when some foreign students desired to visit, this, uh, visit the place where the reformer, the very well-known theologian and, and pastor, this reformer's earthly remains rest, the place could no longer be pointed out among the fresh mounds. <laughs> Why do we need a Calvin memorial when we have the God he served? That's what Calvin taught. Well, it's not only God's power that remains through his prophet, it's his wisdom as well. Verse 16, Look, they said, we, your servants, have 50 able men. Let us go and look for Elijah, your master thinking maybe he had been transported, like in Star Trek. Um, that was a joke, by the way. I don't think they really thought about Star Trek in those days. Uh, perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. He knew what happened to Elijah. He was now with God. Verse 17, but they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said... Send them, all right. 
And they sent 50 men who searched for three days, but lo and behold, didn't find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them in a very satisfying, I told you so moment, didn't I tell you not to go? Here God tells us that wisdom matters. And Elisha, as God's prophet and mouthpiece, speaking the words of God, has it. God's word through God's prophet brings God's wisdom to God's people. But we don't highly, well, we don't really value wisdom highly, do we? Not as highly as power. It's just not as impressive, is it? Like, wisdom is not quite as flashy. It doesn't, doesn't really make for a good story. But, you know, with God, the stories of God's power in healing, for example, are just as important as the stories of, God, of good judgment and obedience to God's word. Like the man who places software in his computer to stop him looking at porn, uh, all the while getting, gets a couple of mates to, to keep him accountable. See, we ought to celebrate both. We ought to celebrate power, yes, but wisdom as well, just as God does. Well, we're still in Jericho, point three in our outline. Recognising who he is, Elisha is approached by some locals. Verse 19. Yes, verse 19, there we go. Uh, sorry? Second, part, second sentence in verse 19, I should say. Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Now, some commentators argue that this last phrase in the Hebrew uh, should be translated, and the country suffers from miscarriages. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, in any case, without going into the, too much detail with it, the water was bringing death to the people. Verse 20, bring me a new bowl, Elisha said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Now, I don't think we need to get hung up on salt and a new bowl. I don't think there's much in that. Visible actions often accompany miracles. What's essential is the word that's spoken and who says it and Elisha's role. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, this is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death and make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha has spoken. Instead of death, there is life. Instead of sickness, there's healing. Both the sign and the word shows that God's word, through God's prophet, brings God's grace to God's people. God's word through God's prophet, brings God's grace to God's people. But let's not skip over something. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Remember Jericho? A few weeks back now. Jericho's no ordinary town, is it? Following the Israelite conquest, Jericho was cursed. Uh, you might remember this but from a few weeks back, Joshua chapter 6, verse 26. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. Now we remember that it was in King Ahab's time when Hiel of Bethel did just this 
and suffered these consequences. Jericho was a place under a curse. Jericho was a place of death. So here in verses 19 and 22, the city now, the city under a curse, now receives a blessing of grace. Here's how one writer put it. The place where Yahweh inflicted his destructive word now enjoys his healing word. Here in 2 Kings 2, Curseville has become Grace Borough. <laughs> it's a nice little phrase, isn't it? But isn't this the God of the Bible? The God of grace who delights in turning the most curse-ridden, sin-laden, judgment-bearing situations into episodes of grace in full-blown living colour. Isn't that just the God of the Bible, the God we sing about, the God we read about? Uh, don't listen to people, well, you should listen to them, but people who say the Old Testament God is full of judgment and vengeance and the New Testament God is full of Jesus and love and smiley happy people, um, that's not true, is it? Because here is the God of grace we're just reading about right now. The God of grace and the God of judgment is alive and well in the Old Testament. The God of grace and the God of judgment is alive and well in the New Testament. See, what we read here in 2 Kings is this, that God's word, through God's prophet, brings God's grace even to Jericho. Even to you and me. See, there is hope, a real and certain hope for the broken. Healing for the spiritually wounded. For the one whose immoral act years ago, which has infected their marriage and infested their conscience, and although you've confessed, uh, you are convinced that God only tolerates you. Or for the one who made that rebellious decision, and though he has long since repented in tears and sincerity, uh, a cloud hangs over his life. Here's what God says to us this morning. Look at Jericho. Look at Jericho, where the, the, the sunshine of God's grace shines brightly. I, I don't just tolerate you, God says. I love you. Well, Elijah is gone, but Yahweh remains. His power, his wisdom, his grace, and his judgment. Let's read this fascinating couple of verses here again. Verse 23, brace yourselves. From Jericho, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, baldy, or go up from here, bald head, they said. Get out of here, baldy. He turned around, looked at them and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. And he went on to Mount Carmel and from there returned to Samaria. Don't catch a prophet on a bad day. <laughs> Sounds like Elisha is Captain Grumpy and needed a nap. I don't know. Now, before we jump to any rash conclusions, let's quickly note four things. And I mean quickly. First, these were youngsters. They were young lads. Um, we might call them yobbos. All right. Two, Bethel was a place etched in history as Baal Central. There would have been little affection for Elisha, Yahweh's prophet. No doubt it was a case of kids doing as their parents do. 
Let's pause for a minute and let's have a, have a, uh, a heart to heart. <laughs> parents, I'll speak to parents for a moment. Your children will follow your example. So if you do not consider this, what we're doing now, gathering around God's word, encouraging each other, serving each other in that, uh, whether it's at 9.30, 6.30am, whether it's at ribs, uh, sink and so on. If we do not consider this, doing church, we'll call it, got nothing to do with a building, nothing to do with it, it's us together as God's people around God's word. If we do not consider this a priority over and above the temporary things of life, let's call them what they are, sport, music, family, play, I couldn't think of a better word, play, then please don't be surprised if your children also, like you, do not consider this, doing church, whatever form it comes in, ribs, <coughs> sink, 8am service, 9.30 service and small groups during the week, don't be surprised if your children do what you do. And do not consider doing church a priority. They don't, don't be surprised when your children do not consider Jesus a priority. Don't be surprised when your children do not consider God's word a priority. These children, these young lads, these yobbos, were just doing as their parents did. Third point to note about this scene and these young people there was deliberate and malicious intent. Note they went out of their way to abuse Elisha, uh, to yell abuse at him. They, they came, verse 23, they went out of the town. They came out of the town to do that. It wasn't as if Elisha was walking down Bethel Boulevard doing some window shopping. He was skipping around the town. But these youths went out. For there's the mockery. Now, as we all know, bald men are beautiful. <laughs> it's a lovely picture there. Um, and bald women are beautiful too. <laughs> I thought that would get a bit more of a laugh. I'm sorry, boys. We worked, we worked hard on this, didn't we? There you go. All right, we'll take it off now. Let's get rid of it. Um, anyway, bald men are beautiful, yes, but not in Bethel. Not in Bethel. What's interesting is that Elisha would have been wearing a head covering. In other words, and, and no, not for sun protection or fashion or anything like that particularly. In other words, these boys knew their target. They knew him. They had heard of Elisha. They knew that Elisha was bald. Get out of town. Get out of town, they said. Now, that's a very polite translation in our lovely NIVs. Um, and as this is a family show, uh, I won't translate it more literally. But perhaps you know what I mean. Uh, it probably involves four-letter words and that sort of thing if I was going to translate it more literally. It wasn't friendly. So these young lads were responsible. They knew what they were doing and who they were abusing and showing contempt towards. That's God's representative. And God's judgment was swift. Why bears? Bears? Why bears? Well, in the name of the Lord, Elisha inflicted the covenant curse on them. 
from Leviticus 26.22. For those who broke and disregarded God's covenant. The covenant curse for those who disregarded God's word. And I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children. Now, we don't have all morning to talk that through. Uh, read it in the context when you get a moment. But let's not lose sight of the big picture in this chapter. We mustn't see this episode out of its context. So here is Elisha is God's appointed successor to Elijah, endowed with God's spirit in power and wisdom, and who speaks God's word in grace and in judgment. You with me? God's word can bring both healing and harm, deliverance or disaster. So God is not a God to be messing with. Uh, we must not lose the right sense of humble fear before God as we read passages like this. Okay, well, let's, let's tie a few things together. And let's ask this question then. Where now is the God of Elijah? That's what Elisha cried out. Remember that in verse 14? Where now is the God of Elijah? God's answer, right here. Right here. 2 Kings tells us that Elijah is gone, but the Lord remains. The God of power, the God of wisdom, the God of grace, the God of judgment remains. In his prophets, as they speak the words of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God. Now, centuries later, in Joel chapter 2, we're told it's this same spirit which is promised to all of God's people when God's king, his Messiah, the Christ, rules. Now, I want you to focus. I want you to stay with me. All right? Some of you doing some big open, open sort of mouth um, uh, reactions. Stay with me, okay? If you've, if you've nodded off, come back with me, all right? Come back with me. This is really important stuff and I think really, really exciting. So in Joel 2, we're told that this same spirit is promised to all God's people when Jesus reigns. And in that upper room, the night before Jesus died, it's the same spirit who Jesus promised would come and be with them. That was the passage we'll read in a moment as well that Chris read. Jesus was going, but by his resurrection, he defeated death and was raised as ruler of the world and leaves his spirit for those who follow him. So for the disciples, uh, the, the disciples asked the same questions as Elisha, didn't they? And the other prophets. How can we go on, Jesus, now that you're leaving? Where now is God's prophet? Who will speak the word of God into people's hearts and minds? Remember that question? And Jesus says, by God's spirit, the advocate who is coming, you will, he says. You will. Now let's listen to these words of Jesus. Jesus said, When the advocate comes, I hope you can see that okay, listen carefully. When the advocate comes, the Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Skip down to verse 6. Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, 
He will provide the world to be in the uh, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. God's people did not have to wait long before God's spirit was given. Over to Acts 2. Acts 2 records God's people gathering days after Jesus' ascension to heaven. God's people gathering in Jerusalem. And suddenly they began to speak in different tongues and different languages of the world, not of their own. What does it mean? The onlookers asked. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and addressed the crowd. God's spirit is no longer given to prophets like Elijah, no longer just given to prophets like Elijah and Elisha, but God's spirit is given to all, from all nations, from all tribes, from all in all tongues, whether rich or poor, whether slave or free. All who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. So verse 14, Acts chapter 2. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says... I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, because God's spirit, that same spirit that was given to Elisha, that's because God's spirit, that, that spirit given to Elisha, is now given to all Christians. Not only does God remain with us, but all Christians, therefore, are prophets as we speak and proclaim the words of God, the words of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, that same Spirit given to Elisha and Elijah, that same Spirit that Jesus gives as we call on the name of the Lord, as we trust in Him. Friends, over the last eight, eight or nine weeks, I can't remember what it is, we've got to know Elijah. Uh, what a man, wouldn't you think? In fact, gee, wouldn't it be great to have lots of Elijahs? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Now, the message today is that we do. We do. All who follow Jesus, all who call on his name, all who believe in him as the one who rules now, who died for our sin and rose again, all such people have God's spirit in them. All Christians are Elijah's and Elisha's, but with no need of wearing itchy clothing made of camel's hair, or animal's hair, whatever it was. See, God's command then is that we speak God's word boldly to each other. Now, I'm not talking about, don't, don't take the application is, I've got to go and tell my friends about Jesus. Of course you do. Of course we do. But speak God's word boldly to each other, whenever, wherever you are. Actually, to anyone who will listen, speak God's word boldly. Don't shrink back. The power of God's spirit is in us. 
And as we speak his word, we proclaim God's power. And we proclaim God's wisdom. And we proclaim God's grace. And we proclaim God's judgment too. Let's pray and ask God to help us to do that. Father, we, uh, we thank you for today. Although there's some tricky bits in that passage and uh, we had to think this morning, Lord. Uh, we thank you that you've given us brains to think and, and mull over things and, and, uh, and focus on your word. We thank you, Lord, that, that um, Father, that, that the Bible makes sense and it's connected. Um, and Lord, that, that it points to Jesus and how important it is, Father. And we thank you that you've given us your spirit as we put our trust in you. Lord, today we want to do that. We want to put our trust in you and call on the name of the Lord and receive your spirit and speak your word boldly. Um, Lord, Lord, help us to be uh, little Elishas and Elijahs who indeed speak of your power and wisdom and your grace and your judgment. Um, help us to speak your word boldly just to each other as we focus on uh, your goodness to us. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, thank you that we can gather together. And we, uh, we pray that you'd give us um, a good day as we continue meeting and encouraging each other and indeed speaking your word to each other. In Jesus' name, amen.